Good morning and welcome. You've got Dustin Atwood here in the studio. And we do have a lot to talk about, which you're in luck since this is talk radio. Hopefully you are tuned in listening online or to the AM side of the world. They should get us all straightened out. It sounds like pretty quick from what Nick's last public service announcement was. Um, this is going to be a very current events show. You know, we've got some inclement weather coming in. And that is going to affect everybody out there listening. I don't care whether you ride city transit or you have your own motor vehicle, which I'm sure most people do, which is awesome. I mean, I love being able to get up and go as I please and not wait on any kind of bus. But if you ride the bus, more power to you. I grew up up north for a little while. I'm originally from the uh, Joplin, Carthage, um, you know, Neosho area as a, as a young kid. And then we moved up north to, uh, it would be the east side of Lake Michigan. LaPorte, Indiana is where I spent a portion of my childhood. Uh, I know all about snow and extreme cold and wind chill and lake effect snow. We had some awesome um, winters that last like nine months out of the year. I've been begging for snow here in Springfield for five years. So whether you like it or love it, I guess I'm responsible for the snow that's coming. No, I'm, I'm not quite that full of myself, but we are all going to have to deal with it. And it's going to be real here pretty quick. We're all dealing with the, you know, bitter cold at the moment. And that's, uh, that's going to affect us all. You know, I don't know how many people get on YouTube out there. And I know I poke fun at YouTube from time to time, but the popularities of the cold start videos or the old start videos are typically, you know, pieces of equipment or diesel engines, et cetera, et cetera. And you look at them and they've got millions and millions of views. And some of them are honestly very cool. That That is the world that I live in. I love machinery. I love mechanical devices of all kinds, whether, you know, it's, it's automobile or a piece of equipment. You know, there's a good shot. I can fix it. And we do on, on many occasions. You know, there's times where uh, we're not a small engine shop, so please don't bring all your lawnmowers to me. But for some of our local customers and whatnot, there'll be lawnmowers and weed eaters and generators. And uh, I've worked on <clears throat> all kinds of tree uh, trimming equipment, different skidders, skid steers. I mean, we, you know, if I've got time and, and it's a good uh, fit for both of us, you know, we take on some weird projects. Um, but as that comes on, and we're all in the cold start videos at the moment. I mean, both of my trucks fired up this morning, made sure they were all in good shape. They did slow crank. I heard a little bit of power steering noise. That's going to be normal for everybody out there. I hope you have a good battery in there at the moment. If not, you know, the normal, like the damage to the battery actually happens through the summer when it's extremely hot. A lot of the fluids that are inside of it, you know, vaporize and, and uh, you know, boil off, if you will. And you see the adverse effects of it when it's very, very cold outside, as well as it takes more effort to move that rotating mass inside the engine to get it fired up. So you need to make sure, A, that your, you know, starting and charging system is in good shape. We had a clinic there in the shop this week. We were doing some load testing of obviously the battery. That's where we're going to start. But we took it another step further that is equipment that we keep in the shop that you won't find at your big box parts stores. And we have some of that test equipment that they use at the big box parts store. It's It serves its, its place and it does a decent job. But where they stop short is where we pick it up and I can actually measure accurately the voltage or... I'm sorry, more correctly, the amperage, it would be the voltage drop and the amperage draw that it re is required 
to crank up the engine from a cold start or even a hot soak, etc. But I can actually measure it and determine what's going on and how that affects you. So if you start to hear or if you've been hearing before it got cold, the, the RPM or the revolutions or the cadence of that engine cranking over has been slower or has been different. We're open from 8 to 5. I urge you to make an appointment or come by and see if we can work you in. Otherwise, as it, we get into these zero or, or negative temperatures here, you're going to have a no-start, and I don't want that to happen. If nothing else comes across this radio show that we come to you each week and, sh and, and share with you guys, is I want you to be informed. If you have a service center that's not ours that's taking care of business, awesome. Stay with them. Make an appointment with them. If you've bounced around and you just can't find a home, we, we can be that. We will do that. We will take care of it because we want you just as informed as we are. This is not a school. You know, I'm not going to have classes, which we have actually, you know, done some car care clinics, but we're going to bring you along through the process and we're going to make that process happen together. So you, you're not in the dark and just, well, do I need this or did I not need this, etc. Be a part of that. And that's really what we do as a company. We continue to broaden our education and as we bring new folks into the industry which is desperately needed in every industry is good people we educate and bring them along with what a1 custom car care does and education is a big part of that for you out there as the listeners for you out there as our customers and friends and family and uh you know for us as a company to make sure we stay on the cutting edge of that so we're going to test all of our uh, mechanical pieces of equipment uh, right now, this morning, tomorrow, next week. It's going to be a real deal. So we're going to go over some, kind of some of the normal things that we see uh, fail and give us problems. Obviously, it's it's a, you know the, the uh, battery starting and charging system is kind of a softball. We get a lot of tow-ins for folks that hey, it just won't start up, and and we need to get it in and and find out whatever the weakest link was and and fix that. As well as one of the most overlooked things, I think, in general, and this is a very easy one. You guys can do this on your own if you're not. Bring it into the shop. We'll do it as well. Um, wiper blades is a huge, huge thing and wiper transmissions. Um, why in the world am I talking about this today? Um, and what does it matter to you guys? I'm sure is what folks are thinking about that. So I'm guilty of it. I do it. I am mindful of it. So I try to avert it as much as possible. But as we have precipitation, your windshield is freezing rain or you've got snow sticking and melting, you guys are going to be using your wipers. It's very easy to get complacent as you get home or you get to wherever you're going and you shut that off and the command switch is still on for the wipers. Okay, At best, it rips the rubber portion or the, the clearing uh, stripping portion of the wiper off and it ruins the wiper, which is not great. Anybody that's bought wipers lately, good wipers are not cheap. At worst, it breaks the wiper transmission. And that is essentially simply the linkage and the motor that allow the wipers to run back and forth on the windshield. They create great amounts of force. And if you forget and leave that on, especially if the wipers are not parked, and it freezes to the windshield the moment you hit your remote start or you go out there and hit the key and it commands those wipers on, hopefully they do break free and just ruin the wipers. But we fix a ton of wiper transmissions from now through the next month or so as the freezing weather happens. So you've got to make sure and turn them off. 
I see a ton of folks out there that do a great job and they flip their wipers up. So if they know it's going to be freezing, they'll go out there as they, you know, shut everything off. And not all of you out there can do this, by the way, but most cars, you can actually put the wipers perpendicular to the windshield at a 90 degree angle and they won't freeze to the window. They will freeze and you have to gingerly put them back down. Make sure the command switch to the wiper transmission is off before you start the car and go ahead and warm the car up. Now, I've touched on a subject there, haven't I? Um, there's a ton of folks and a ton of literature and everything you read on the internet must be true that you don't need, and I'm using very sarcastic air quotes there, by the way, to warm up your vehicle. Now, I'm not going to say it's back in the day, like it's carbureted days where you had to have fast idle warm the car up before you could leave, but you definitely need to keep your car running or warming for just a little bit before you leave. A minimum of a minute, but I would prefer to get to operating temperature, which is around 200 degrees. But we're up against our first break of the hour. Time flies when you're having fun. I've got a lot more tips and tricks of what we're going to see as these cold temperatures hit us after we come back from the break. All right, welcome back. Short break there, so we need to get right back into hopefully preventing some of you folks from needing our services. I know that's a little counterintuitive, you would think, but when I tell you I really want to prevent you from having failures, I truly mean it, and the company does as well. You know, if even if we didn't know, you know, such and such, and it breaks, it's still just as expensive. So let's try and prevent some of those failures. That's why we're so passionate about our preventive preventative maintenance. There we go. And, you know, hopefully keeping and protecting your sometimes, you know, for years I've said second largest investment. Um, but I was talking with David, which manages our sunset store yesterday morning. And he was telling me that there is a, a six figure hundred thousand dollar Yukon or Suburban may have been the Cadillac variant of it, the Denali. Uh, you know, you could still buy even a couple. They're probably not going to be the nicest houses out there, but you could buy a couple houses for that. So this may be your largest investment that you have. And we want to help make sure that you get many, many uh, trouble-free miles even after the point of payoff. Okay. If you can go out and write a check for whatever it is, you're my hero. And I think that's awesome. I'm going to be you someday. But for most of us out there, we're making payments for three to seven to 10 years on a vehicle. You had better be able to drive that many years after payoff and get or recoup or even out some of that investment. So uh, we talked about some of the things if you don't do that, hey, it's going to cost you if we have to put a wiper transmission in it. That's a big one. Power windows as well. You know, I get it. We all want to roll into our favorite fast food place, get a cup of coffee, whatever your flavor is in the morning, go to the bank, etc., if the weather is as cold and wet as it's been, and we've already had some freezing rain, and you continue to hammer on the down button on the window, I assure you something's going to give. And it's more than likely going to be the plastic uh, pulley system that's inside the door. So most of you out there listening uh, have power windows. I'm probably one of the few. I actually have three trucks that still have manual windows and manual locks on them. And, uh, you know, they typically don't fail, but most people out there have got into the 21st century and have power everything. And if you hammer on the power down button enough, 
it's going to break the regulator and the the assembly that runs the window up and down. A lot of times the window falls down eventually and then you cannot roll it back up. So if you have young drivers, you know, there may be a lot of you out there thinking, duh, this is uh, obvious. Captain Obvious is on the radio today, but I wouldn't talk about this if I didn't have the bays flooded with this kind of repair work for na from now until roughly, you know, probably a month or two from now of the folks that have tore things up and broke them and then we're keeping them back on the road and fixing them. You know, nobody wants to have a window broken down or falling down that they can't get back up in this kind of weather. I mean, it's just not going to happen. You're going to have to fix it regardless of whether you're prepared for the funds or not. So that's another one you need to be mindful of, as well as um, we already went over batteries, etc. Your tires and your TPMS system. Now, what does TPMS stand for? That is Tire Pressure Monitoring System. To you guys, it's typically the orange-colored uh, upside-down horseshoe on the dash of your vehicle that says you have low tire pressure. And as the temperature declines, naturally the uh, air is going to condense in there a little bit more and it's going to decline in pressure. Before I left the house this morning, uh, Stacy, uh, my lovely lady, had gone to town last night. She said, hey, my tire pressure light's on. I have a low tire. And so I talk about those 12-volt air compressors quite often, and I have several of them. We keep one in her car. But it's a little, I don't want to say cumbersome. You have to open the hood. You have to hook power to it. Works fantastic. But you don't have to rely on trying to get air at one of those gas stations with a bunch of quarters that usually takes more out of air out of the tire than it puts in. So we've got her set up. She was able to tell me what the pressures were. I was able to determine that that's enough pressure for her to do what she needs to without being unsafe or hurting the tire. So we were right there kind of at that limit, as well as kind of a, a tip here we're going to throw out there. If the weather gets slick and there's a lot of snow, um, you really can't do a lot about ice. But if there's a lot of snow on there, if the air pressure is on the lower side, now I'm not talking like 10 PSI, you know, it needs to be probably 25 to 30 on the low side for most cars out there. Your car will actually handle and drive better in slick conditions. It's, it's called airing down the tires. And it's kind of a tip or a trick that a lot of old timers used to do um, to make sure and give you a little bit better traction. Now, everybody out there now has got four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive, if you're my Mercedes folks out there, you've got the Formatic, if you will. Uh, Quattro Drive, I think, is what uh, Jeep and Chrysler ran forever. It's a fancy way to say all-wheel drive. So before that, you know, we had a lot of rear-wheel drive vehicles, so the old-timers would air down the tires to get a little bit better traction when the weather was crappy outside. That um, bonus or feature still works to this day. So keep that in mind, and, and I was, you know, in mind while Stacy was taking... Uh, run into the store last night that she was in good shape. She told me the pressures, I think, were about 27, 28 PSI, which is not ideal. I wouldn't want her to take a road trip on that kind of pressure, but running into town and back, she was more than safe. So this morning, I got up, and I've actually ordered a new, um, it is a M12 Milwaukee cordless air compressor. And when you invest in cordless tools, like you end up being in their group, if you will, their club. It's like owning a Harley. You're, you're, you're in the in crowd. So I went ahead and ordered this cordless M12 air compressor. Paid full tilt. It's not sponsored, by the way. 
And this morning, as I was getting things ready, I'm doing my cold starts out there, making sure all the animals have water that's not frozen and food and getting the mail and all that stuff. I needed to air up her tires. Well, I have a big commercial air compressor out in the garage, and I didn't want to fire that up. That was more cumbersome. So I thought, man, this is a great test for this little cordless air compressor. So I got a fresh battery, and I stuck in there, and I went around, and you set it and forget it, basically. I can't remember what, uh, as seen on TV, that that was. Um, but you dial in the pressure that you want. You hit play, basically. You see what pressure's in it now, and then it runs until you tell it to stop at whatever PSI. So while I'm doing all my stuff, I love multitasking. And I'm going ahead and airing up and making sure all of her tires are at 35 PSI. And I'm able to do this in stages while I'm doing all my other stuff. I hear it shut off. I go move it to the next tire. It's awesome. So it's one of those things, you know, we live at a time, you know, there's a lot of uh, craziness going on in the world, but there's a lot of cool things going on too. And I love tools. Um, if I have any addiction, it's probably that I love tools and the newest, latest and greatest that makes my life super easy and able to do stuff. So bam, within a few minutes, I had everything aired up. Now it's not a super high powered air compressor, by the way. So if you guys buy one under my recommendation, don't think that if you've got a 10 ply tire that runs at 60 or 90 PSI, that it's going to air it up in 10 minutes. It will do it, and it will be a little warm. I probably wouldn't do a whole bunch of them in a row, but I use it for my trailer tires. I run 10-ply tires on my trucks. You know, it, it really is a handy little thing that makes my life a little bit easier, and I'll take that any, any time that I can get it. So I got sidetracked talking about tools. Back to TPMS stuff. So... If that light is on forever, a lot of times it's just a reset procedure that needs to be done. Obviously, you inflate the tires to whatever it says on the door placard and then run through the reset. You do more often than not, depending on the manufacturer, what kind of car or truck you drive, have to um, go through with a scan tool and do a reset procedure and turn that light out to make sure it's in good shape. Now, I, you know, I'm not a, what everybody calls an idiot light connoisseur. You know, I'm not a guy that puts pictures or whatever over the top of my, I like to have a clear dash. I like to not have, you know, a bunch of lights on and I get it. Not sometimes people got to deal with things because you can't afford the fix or whatever. But if it's something easy like that, why not? I love the fact, and I use it all the time. I've got an 09 F250. I think we're probably at 297,000 miles. Thing still runs fantastically great. Um, it does have TPMS. Most of my folks from, I'm going to say around 2013 and newer, you'll be equipped, mandated by the government that your car came out with a tire pressure monitoring system. I love the fact that, you know, I have that on there. And as much as I drive, if I get in a situation and I pick up something on the road and I get a tire going down, I've had it happen a couple of times in the last couple of years, that light, you know, triggers early enough that I can get to a safe place and either get it switched out with the spare or get into one of the shops, obviously, because normally that's where I'm driving and we can take care of whatever's punctured my tire and we can go on about our day. So it's just a great feature and I love that about that. We're going to talk about the analog brake system because that's going to be a very big key player here in a minute. But before we do, um, I want to talk about a video that I actually saw. And I think a lot of you out there probably have seen it as well. 
There was an ice storm that went through Dallas Fort Worth here. I'd say within the last two days, maybe it'd been a you know a little bit longer than that. And it is a very large car pileup, and there was a lot of folks that you know lost their life and and uh, were trapped in that wreckage for a long time. And the video is unbelievable to watch. Um, we were coming back from St. Louis, I think, last week or the week before. And it obviously wasn't an ice storm at that time, but the traffic slowed up out on I-44. And immediately, as at, at any time, I did some commercial driving for a while before I got and was finished with my vocational mechanic school. And so I have a chauffeur's. I don't have a Class A, but I have a Class E, which uh, demanded or the, the uh, requisite to do so was some commercial driving training. Now it's not, I'm not my class A guys out there. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm full blown on this, but one of the things that I took from some of that entry level commercial driving training that we offered or were offered was if you get in a situation that, that traffic is slowing somewhere that it doesn't normally, I mean, that's the reason you have interstates is that they don't stop. You know, you get on and off and there's no pause. And there was a situation, I think, where there was a high-speed pursuit and the, the vehicle was pit maneuvered right around Six Flags. And as we came up, the entire interstate was shut down. And, you know, immediately my first recommendation is to get on your hazards. You have to uh, basically show people or get their attention as quickly as possible that you are stopped or at a slower pace of speed because we went from... 75 85 miles an hour to creeping slow to a dead stop now normally people get you know kind of like uh, in the twilight zone you know and you're just on an open road and you're just hammered down and going unfortunately a lot of them kind of get in a daze or you know kind of a, a you know a, i don't want to say a daydream if you will but they're not planning to have stop traffic ahead and god forbid you get rear-ended by somebody you know, in a small car, large truck, or even a heavy, heavy commercial vehicle. And a lot of that happened down in Dallas-Fort Worth, and it is unbelievably tragic. And so I think about what we could do. So as, you know, we weren't in a slick situation there, but immediately I got on the hazards. Immediately I am looking in the rearview mirror, making sure that the vehicles behind me see that I'm slowing down, okay? I don't want to wait till the last minute and dynamite the brakes, I want to make sure that I am uh, checking those vehicles before we come to a complete stop, as well as looking at the vehicle behind the vehicle. If you look at some of that video online, and it's unbelievably tragic, but a lot of times, you know, it was an 18-wheeler that couldn't stop. It was not their fault in, in, in this case. They were going, ran into this ice storm. It was black ice. And, you know, they would run three, four, five vehicles through before they finally got stopped. And that's a, a unbelievable sight to see. And, you know, as you're watching the video, at least for me, man, I felt absolutely helpless. So what else can you do from that matter? Um, obviously, hazards. I hammer on and off the brakes. Um, if it's a skid situation, I get or try, at least here in Missouri, to get off into the rumble strips where the uh, area is pretty rough on the shoulder. Or if there's a grassy area, I will get two tires off in that grass and that will give you some traction instead of the slick ice. So just be mindful of that. We, we've got some more that we're going to talk about after the bottom of the hour. We've got to take a break to pay some bills, but we'll be back in a moment. 
the song. You can't have a bad day when you're starting out with a little bit of, uh, you know, smoking the bandit. I mean, that just brings a smile to my face and I'm sure I'm not the only one out there. One of these days, that's kind of, you know, as my kids get older and everybody grows up and does their thing, I am going to either buy a restored one or more than likely I'll buy one that's all broken down and neglected and put three times as much as what I could have bought a nice one for restoring one. But when I was a kid, and I don't want to get off topic, we need to talk about some of our tips and tricks. But when I was a kid, um, you know, I've shared with you guys a lot of times, my dad was a dealership body guy for, for many years, most of his life. And so he made me a big part of that. And when I got to the point that I was able to, you know, even be starting to learn how to drive, you know, they made sure that I knew how to drive a manual shift transmission, which thank you, mom and dad, very much for that. Uh, my mom taught me that actually quite a bit. Um, so that was huge. And then after that, you know, we didn't run out and buy a brand new car. We bought one that had been uh, T-boned. It was a 77 Firebird. I had probably at that point in my life watched Smokey and the Bandit in the hundreds of times. You know, now I'm definitely willing to the thousands of times. Um, but I spent two years, you know, getting the body ready, redoing the engine on that thing. That was really where I cut my teeth getting into the automotive industry. And I love that car. And I put a price on that car and somebody bought it before I even drove it. So even as I'm sitting here, like just completely kicking my own butt right now that that was stupid. However, it, you know, it really kind of taught me a lot. I mean, those were very fond memories uh, working on that thing, trying to get it ready to go. We did get it running. We got it driving. We got it painted. I mean, it was beautiful by the time it was done. Uh, the top drawer of my toolbox, I still have photos of it and I look at them from time to time and I'm going to do that again someday. But I digress. We were talking about being stopped or in a situation to where you cannot go and proceed and there may be traffic coming up against you. So as we come into slick temperatures, you need to, there will be an ice pack out on the road. I can guarantee that. There will be some slick areas, sometimes getting off into the unpacked snow, depending on how much we've got. Um, you need to be careful of that, but you can get a little bit more traction. I know there was a video of a guy, I think it may have been down in Dallas as well, forgive me, um, but he got sucked into as he was going over a very uh, high overpass on-ramp or off-ramp and actually careened off where the snowbank allowed it to suck the truck up and went over, I think they said like 60 or 70 feet. He did survive, but he's in rough shape, you know, as well. So you got to be mindful of this. This is not, oh, I've got a four-wheel drive and I, you know, I'm out of milk and butter and eggs and I need to go to the store. Hey, uh, spoiler alert, they're already sold out. So go ahead and stay home and make it through until and let our uh, MoDOT uh, finest do their job. They've been doing a really good job. I, I talked about this at the shop this week. Um, when I was a kid, I really don't feel like MoDOT was near as well of equipped as they are today. You know, as the weather starts to come in, you'll see the trucks out there prepping the roads, and they're doing a great job with it. And as the snow comes on, those guys are working many, many, many long hours trying to keep the roads clear. So help them out as much as possible. Definitely a huge thank you to those folks in advance and for many, many previous years of great work. But if you get in a situation where you can't go or you can't stop, 
kind of look outside of the box a little bit. If there is that rumble strip area, you will have a little bit better traction until that gets packed up. Use it. Use that part of the road. Um, I was in a situation a few years back where we were on an old country road. We were coming up to a T intersection, and it was just an ice pack. It was slick, slick, slick. I was actually towing my tractor going to help a friend out that lives right up the road. And I had the kids with me. I got into a skid. Um, I was stopping way, way far back, so it was not unsafe. So don't worry about the kids in this manner. But that was a lesson I wanted to teach them. I just eased off to the corner of the road there where the grass started and there wasn't any real ice pack. There was traction. It's rough there. Now, I'm not talking about running into the ditch. So um, be mindful and don't say, well, Dustin said run into the ditch. No, use the entire options. Don't just cram on the brakes and then ride it into whatever the obstruction is. You know, there's there's an art. And, you know, I know other countries have actual driving schools that you have to go through. And I'm not saying America needs to do that. So don't, don't say that. I'm just saying there's a lot more to just driving than taking your test. And these are some of the things I hope you all are teaching your kids. So when they get into a situation, they're not just completely uh, caught off guard with it. I don't want it to be a situation where like, well, I didn't know what to do. So I just slid right into it, crashed. You know, let's try and see if what we can do. So what I did is I just ease over just a little bit right to the, the edge, you know, crest of the road right there. Got plenty of traction right there. Stopped safely, made my turn. But I use that as a teaching moment. Parents out there need to do a better job teaching their kids. You know, you cannot let everybody learn off the Internet or, you know, whatever they see on TV or Google on their phones or their tablets. You know, the real world life lessons are so invaluable and they're being lost you know the common sense theory is not necessarily so common anymore i mean you look at the tradesmen and women out there um, they're in demand right now and i'm not saying college isn't important for folks that went to college and are doing well awesome but i can tell you there's a shortage of skilled laborers and tradesmen and women doing what they're doing and having a lot of that common sense skills. So as we're teaching our kids, and obviously I'm tailoring it to driving today, this is somewhat of a car talk radio show. You need to share those experiences when you have a young driver. Something my grandpa shared with me a long time ago is there was a, a situation that, you know, a young lady was being taught how to drive and, and, you know, they didn't think she would pass her driving test. And so she did. And she was up in the St. Louis area and got in a situation she didn't know what to do. And she just sat there and there was a, a fatal crash. And so as we bring young drivers into, um, you know, being drivers, you know, you have to show them what happens if you get in a skid situation, how you counter steer, how you operate your brakes, how your analog brake system works. Should you just stay home? how you need to care for your car, what happens if it doesn't start, if you stall, what do you do, etc. That is what I see our role being more and more and more as things go, not that parents aren't doing their, you know, their job. Cars are getting much more complex. There are much more do's and don'ts along with them. We are not a driving school obviously, but we will share when we get in situations of how to prevent that system or what you need to do. So make us a part of that as well. Hopefully you're doing that as well. But if you have questions or concerns, the folks at our, our front counter are fantastic. 
I mean, we have some serious professionals and I'm so proud to be a part of that. And you need to be aware of what's going on, not only with your car, but if you've got young drivers as well or elderly folks, you know, you sure don't want their car not being reliable and being able to, to depend on that. So as we come into that, I, ta- I told you all that we were going to talk about the analog brake system. Um, that's pretty much, I'm going to say 99% of you out there have anti-lock brakes on your car. And we have some situations where it gets slick outside the ABS system comes on and then we get a phone call, hey, my car's not doing what it's supposed to or it's not stopping or it's making a funny rumbling vibrating noise and I feel it in the pedal and in the steering wheel. That typically is normal, okay? I've explained this a lot of times, but it's been a long time since I've explained this. So just before the tire goes into full wheel lockup or skid is the moment you have the most traction, Okay. Now, back in the day before anti-lock, they taught that you had to pump the brakes to keep it out of wheel lockup because once it goes into wheel lockup, you lose the ability to steer the vehicle. And you see people, you know, on those videos I was talking about where they're just skid, 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 and no worry to stop or steer or avoid the obstruction. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense. If it doesn't, come see one of our folks at the shop and they'll explain it a little bit more. As we go through in the evolution and the safety industry and the government steps in, they said, hey, this will save so many lives mandated on your vehicle. So as to my best recollection, you cannot buy a vehicle for probably the last 10 or 15 years that don't have anti-lock brakes on them. And that allows you to have maximum stopping ability. That allows you still to steer or hopefully steer around an obstruction and keep your vehicle in control. So if you get in that situation, it's normal and you need to be very careful and hopefully avoid that obstruction. We got to take one more break. We're going to pick this up with some more tips and tricks after the break. You know, I have this urge to just, you know, bust out in song for all you guys, which would be horribly bad. You know, that's one of my favorite things is when I'm in the truck all by myself. And I I see some of you other uh, fans of this out there as well. You know, you think you're like a rock star and you, you know, busting out full bore, you know, by your lonesome. So if you got it, sing it, no matter what it sounds like, I guess is my message I'm sending out there to everybody. So I've been whining about snow for literally probably five years. So we had some decent amounts of snow, I think about six years ago. And for a long time, we had a guy, Jim was his name, did a heck of a job, made sure that all of our lots were clear and clean and did a a great job. He'd get there even before we open, get to plow and doing his thing. And Jim was awesome. He was just kind of that guy. He did it all, sent us a bill, went on about his way, bam, done. Well, so he plowed that year many times for us. It was fantastic. At the end of the year, he said, hey, I'm retiring. I'm done plowing. I'm like, oh, shoot. All right. Well, previous to Jim, I'd had a hard time finding a dependable person to do our plowing. So when Jim decided he was done with it, I thought, you know what? We're just going to have to keep this in-house. So I spent some time and I equipped a four-wheeler that I've got. I've got a 500 Honda Rubicon, which is pretty good size, with a five-foot plow. And I've used it one time on about three inches of snow. Did a good job. Cold, cold, cold. 
But I will be doing the snow removal for our stores, making sure that if you guys do need service while this happens, uh, we will have a clear, clean lot just as quickly as I can get to all three of our locations out at Republic and then two here in Springfield. And I'm really excited about that. I know I'm going to freeze my butt off. I get that. Uh, but we have, you know, made the investment and the time to equip some of our equipment. If it's too deep, I do have a small tractor and I'll be using the tractor. So we're going to be plowed out and ready to go. A lot of the work that I see when we do get a fair amount of deep snow, um, you know, and it's cold, we talked about the cold, but we haven't had any deep snow in a while. I see it drag people's old rotted exhaust off quite a bit. And we actually end up seeing quite a bit of exhaust work because of it couple of reasons if it's old and cruddy and you're running through deeper snow um, the resistance is not used to things tugging on that old rotted pipe and we will be fixing and replacing a fair amount of exhaust whether it's stock or performance you know we've had paradox uh, mike on here many times love having him on here love the support that he gives us um, you know from your stock to your performance needs we have that taken care of the other thing that we do is a lot of the body shops around town we do their exhaust service when you get in an accident. So they'll bring it over after you've unfortunately been rear-ended or run over something and, and bent up the system. You know, our skills in a, as an exhaust specialty shop, um, there's not a lot of us out there anymore. There's very, very few. I mean, there used to be quote-unquote muffler shops on every corner here in Springfield. And the skilled hands that can do that have retired or, you know, moved on to other things. And I'm so proud that that is a huge part of our business and company as well, that we still have those skills. Um, it's still something, you know, you may go to the dealer or to a shop that doesn't do it and they might price you thousands of dollars because you have a bent or broken flange. Well, we can do it for a fraction of that because we have the ability to fabricate and service those pieces instead of just ordering huge direct fit bolt-on sections of whatever it is that's disturbed. So that's why we do so much exhaust business still is because we have the fabrication and, and the ability and the skills to do so and the expertise, if you will. And we still spend uh, a lot of time making sure that we pass that on. I'm a direct product of the company's um, commitment not to lose those skills. So I've been with the company. I We need to check. I don't know. Time flies when you have fun. Upwards of 15, 16 years, maybe somewhere in the ballpark of that. When I sat down and interviewed, their main focus was we have a aging exhaust uh, specialty workforce we need some young talent to learn those skills before those folks retire, okay? That was my impression of what they were looking for. Now, I and many of my colleagues are master certified, you know, for full mechanical repair. I have one, at one, if not two or three at every location. So I wanted to learn those skills, but I also wanted to be a full service technician. And so that's what I... I you know, groomed or was groomed into and, and, you know, and not the only one in A1 Custom Car Care by far. But my main focus was to be able to fill in as those guys wanted to take vacation, as they retired, as they, you know, were busy. I did the overflow work or if, you know, there were some new things coming on, I wanted to learn them. So the commitment to that, I am directly a product of, as well as, 
you know, we continue it uh, to pass those skills on. We continue to train. I've got a young guy down in Arkansas who has taken on to it. Uh, I've got two young guys down there that are doing really, really well. And we continue to pass those skills in here. I'm very thankful out at our Republic location, Troy, who actually mentored me for many, many years and still does from time to time on things that, you know, he has been with the company, I think, 43 years. Um, He's definitely an exhaust expert as well. So you got any old car, old school stuff, he's your man for sure. As well as Troy does so much for us as well. Here in town, you know, I take care of it. Jason uh, at our Fort and Sunshine location, um, Harland and Mike and um, Donald were doing all of that over at our Sunset location. So we've got the skills when it comes to the exhaust stuff. And, and uh, if you get in a situation, a lot of times it's not as bad as you think. You know, you may go somewhere and have a rotted out flange or something bent, then they want to replace the moon. A lot of times I can cut out that bad section, put a new good piece in there, and you go on about your day and you never know it. So... There are more than one ways to skin a cat. I definitely love learning some new stuff. Um, we, I've touched on a lot of things for my gas folks out there. We have just a little bit of time. Um, most of my diesel folks out there are probably well prepared for this, but if you're not running a good fuel stabilizer in there, an anti-gel, you definitely, with the low sulfur uh, diesel that we're dealing with in today's times, need to run some kind of lubricity additive. Um, these are none, none of these are sponsored. Um, everybody's got their favorite. I am definitely an Arch Oil fan. I usually have to order that. I order it from Power Stroke Specialty. Um, they send it to me. I know you can get it on Amazon, but from Power Stroke, it, uh, it benefits Trainavet, I think, is his facility out of Buford, Georgia. Helps some of our veterans, so that's where I order it from instead of patronizing Amazon to get it. Uh, Power Service, I've used a lot of theirs. Their anti-gel is not as strong as I'd like. Their cetane level is very good, though. Uh, hot shot is a good one. Uh, I know there's folks out there that, uh, believe in running two stroke oil. So you need to have your fuel prepped with something. If you've got a block heater, I definitely urge you to plug it in, whether it's an oil related or heating the coolant, whatever it takes, plug it in, plug it in, plug it in. I cannot stress that enough. You don't want to, you know, overwork that system anymore. As I think about that, I need to go home and plug in both of mine. I've got, uh, a 6.6 Duramax that I'm a huge fan of. And a new addition to the fleet is a 7.3 Power Stroke. So both of those are going to definitely get a workout on their glow plugs. You are going to have to cycle those a few times is what my recommendation is. I do not recommend going ahead and starting the vehicle while the glow plug light is on. You shock the end of that glow plug with hot uh, I'm sorry, the glow plug is hot and you shock it with cold diesel. That's not awesome on the glow plug. I'm not going to say that they don't run and cycle once it's fired up, but there's not as much of a contrast. It's kind of like taking a coffee pot and putting it in the sink after it's been hot and shocking it. With cold water, a lot of times it breaks and fractures, so you don't want to have any premature issue there. And you want that truck to start. Hopefully you're running good, clean, multi-weight oil. The W, whether it's a 5W or a 15-4, you know, 15W40, stands for winter. The reason they do that is so the viscosity or the resistance to movement as it gets cold is not as great, and those vehicles hopefully will start up. You definitely want to let those vehicles run. Uh, I believe in letting everything run. 
your vehicle's not polluting the air, you know, just sitting there idling with the emissions that you have on them now, as long as they haven't been tampered with. If you're one of my diesel folks out there and you've already hacked off the particulate filter, you're uh, definitely not compliant, I guess. But my main point is once a vehicle gets to operating temperature, it's sitting there putting out very low emissions. So that's not a big deal as it used to be. But getting all those fluids warm and in the places they need to be will make that vehicle last much, much longer. Don't push them when they're cold or you will find the weakest link. Be very safe out there. If you don't have to leave and the weather's crappy, please don't. If you do have to leave, please don't be the person that uh, doesn't dethaw their windows and I meet you on the road and you can barely see by that little bitty hole down in the bottom. That frustrates the crap out of me and I want to pull you over and give you a tongue lashing about it. So if you have no heat, that's another thing I didn't even cover today. You need to make sure and get it in. We take care of that all the time this time of year. Be safe out there. Uh, And have fun. Go sledding, snowballs, all that stuff. Awesome. I love winter. Have a wonderful weekend.